Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is a podcast for learners of English, and this episode is all about the IELTS test, and it's sponsored by italki, a service that you could definitely use to get loads of practice in preparation to do IELTS, you can find a teacher on italki who's, who does IELTS preparation stuff. Practice parts of the speaking exam, uh, practice coming up with ideas, get the feedback you need on your writing, and also work on all your core skills with a one-to-one teacher from the comfort of your own home. With italki, it's a great idea. They've got something like two million people using it. It's amazing. Anyway, when you buy some talking time with italki, they'll send you a voucher worth a free lesson to get the offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners. I hope you're well. Here is part two of this double episode that I'm doing about IELTS this well-known exam that tests your level of English. Learners all over the world are taking IELTS, preparing for it, suffering from it, recovering from it, so I'm sure that most of you are aware of it. Here's an episode about it. As usual, in these multi-part episodes, I suggest that you listen to the first part before listening to this. In this episode, I'm talking to Ben Worthington from IELTSpodcast.com. He specializes in helping people get ready for IELTS. And in this episode, we're going through some questions from listeners on social media about this test. Listen up if you have experience of IELTS. But equally, if you don't have to take the test, I hope you can enjoy this episode in full relaxation mode, since you won't actually have to take this evil test. In this episode, you'll hear Ben and me saying various things about IELTS. Here's a rundown of the conversation and the things we mention. So we talk about how to prepare for IELTS, self-study and using a course, tips for writing, reading, listening and speaking, the importance of getting feedback on essay writing, using websites like scribd.com for past papers, self-study tips for the speaking test, uh, the potential risks of taking group IELTS courses, uh, tips for how to get the best out of an online tutor, the importance of making a good first impression in part one of the speaking test, how to get ideas in speaking part two, using cue cards to practice the speaking test, thinking on your feet and speaking spontaneously, and focusing on core skills. So we're talking about a lot of specific English skills and exam skills, considering the whole approach and mindset that you need to succeed in IELTS. That's what this is all about. As a special gift to my listeners as well, Ben is offering a 15% discount on his IELTS preparation course, which is called Jump to Band 7 or It's Free. So on his website, check out the course and you can use the offer code LUKE15 to get a 15% discount, which is not bad. Anyway, you know what to expect from this episode now. So let's carry on. So you're talking about the importance of getting feedback from someone. So that mm-hmm. kind of brings us into the next uh, set of questions I've got here, which is basically like, how do people prepare for IELTS? And I've got a question from uh, Ash Raffle on Facebook that said, how do you prepare well for IELTS? Eduardo on Facebook said, hi, I'm doing the test soon. Could you give me a study plan for me to follow? And uh, Nguyen Dui Huang Min, whose name I probably just uh, got completely wrong, Um, wrote, what are the best ways to self-study IELTS writing and speaking? Um, So what's the best IELTS preparation strategy for self-study students and non-self-study students then? Right. Well, I think um, I would definitely, for self-study students, and this is where I I could speak to this better because this is like my field. I help a lot of students online, uh, the website. 
But even before coming and getting help, I'd strongly recommend that you take a practice test and you find out which areas you're weak in, you know, mm-hmm. and then you focus on those. And so maybe you might find that your reading is a complete disaster. So now you know to focus on your reading and reading and listening. Personally, I think you can prepare without a tutor. Maybe getting some tips online is going to be helpful. But I think with these tests, with these two parts of the exam, it's a case of getting familiar and then really just drilling down. So you do a practice test and then maybe you realize that multiple choice is the part where you lose the most points. Mm. So the next time you do an IELTS practice test in the listening, for example, maybe you just do the multiple choice parts and maybe you do five or six multiple choice parts from different tests until you can get a a grip on this part and then you go back to taking the whole reading test or the whole listening test again and you really it's just a case of like breaking it down and applying like a systematic approach to it and this is probably the fastest and most effective way mm-hmm. regarding the speaker uh, regarding the listening and the reading now when it comes to writing we want to do something broadly similar um, for the writing, I'd recommend you look at some model sample essays. We've got those. If you just go online and put IELTS podcast model sample essays, you'll see them there. Yeah. Um, also, you want to get um, you want to have a, a look at what some good essays look like. Also, in some future podcasts and some past mm-hmm. some past podcasts, mm-hmm. <laughs> some past podcasts. There, there's um, myself and an, another tutor, and we're reviewing and, and commenting mm. on what made this essay good and what made it bad, and where the student would have picked up points. Yeah. So you really want to get familiar with it, and then once you're familiar with it, and you know you've got a brief idea, and you've probably written a few essays out yourself, or even copied a few essays out pen and paper. That's always good as well. Yeah. Then, then it's the time to start getting feedback. And we offer an essay correction service and the, the tutor will go over it. She's supremely qualified. She's an absolute star, actually. And she'll give you some really good feedback. And sometimes the students say, hey, Ellen, this is a bit harsh. You destroyed my essay. And I say, hey, Ellen, calm down. But she, <laughs> but she always wants to sort of like make sure the student's getting like the full the full Monty, you know, the full mm. explanation of what needs to be done. Yes. And then, and then just one last, last yeah. thing regarding the writing. Once the student gets this feedback, they want to really take a similar approach to what they've done with the listening or the reading, and which is like, okay, I can see that I've got a problem with the articles. Now what I need to do is go and get a good English grammar book like the English Grammar in Use by Murphy, I think it is, Raymond Murphy. Yeah, yeah. And really just drill through that on the articles, learn the rules, do some online quizzes. And once you've got it up to a certain level, then write another essay. And this is really important. After writing that second essay, go back and self-check it yourself because this is a skill in itself that you need for the exam because you can easily boost your score come exam day if you're self-checking or effectively self-checking your own work. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so just uh, going back to something you said there, you said uh, the first thing you should do is to take a practice test. Where can people actually find practice tests that they can do? Um, script.com has a f- quite a few there i think they're a bit gray like they're not super legal and they're not (laughs) it's a bit gray you know students uploaded past exam papers or whatever scribd that's s-c-r-i-b-d dot com exactly yeah exactly so so there are some potentially uh what's the word for it fraudulent or 
uh, uh, pirated. That's it. Maybe, maybe maybe some people have uploaded old exam papers there slightly illegally, you know, the way they do on the, online. <laughs> but anyway, there may or may not be. There, you know, obviously we would not condone, uh, condone that kind of thing. But, Absolutely, um, it's horrendous. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, you may find some uh, uh, exam papers on scribd.com or just by Googling probably IELTS practice tests. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, a, that's a good way of doing it. And I, there was um, a site, I'll have to send it over to you lately because it's, it's escaped me at the moment, but there is um, a site where you can do IELTS listening tests. Um, yeah, but... Okay. Yeah, so um, just you can find those tests online. Okay, okay then. Um, and and yeah, you've got uh, different services on ieltspodcast.com, which people can check out. I mean, this mm-hmm. being uh, probably only one or two episodes of Luke's English Podcast, we can't necessarily go into all of the specific uh, um, things right now and, you know, a study plan mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But I think you've got lots of stuff on your website that people could uh, could check out. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And there's just one last thing I'd like to mm-hmm. say for the self-study students regarding the speaking. Um, this is a bit more challenging. And at the moment, well, we used to do, we used to offer feedback where students could send in their MP3s and we'd give some feedback like that, but it wasn't too popular. Mm. Um, so I think the best way to do this is, one, to get familiar with the exam and try and get and look at you can look online at model exams mm. of what's happened between an examiner and student and get familiar with it and also perhaps even online classes and with this if you are going to do the online classes i think one-on-one classes are the best mm-hmm. and this brings me on to the point of for students who aren't doing self-study classes uh, so who aren't doing self-study preparation and maybe going to an academy. In that case, I would really be aware because um, a couple of months ago, I was interviewing a guy called Yanis, I think his name was, um, who just successfully passed the, the exam. Yeah. And he spent a couple of grand. He was living in New Zealand. He saw an offer in Canberra in Australia yeah. for like a month in IELTS course. And he said it was... It was absolutely crackers because he was just sat there in the class. There's like three Saudi Arabians, a couple of Chinese, two Germans. And he was saying he was the best in the class. I think he's from the Czech Republic. But he was saying like um, if the exam, if this teacher wasn't speaking, then he had to be listening to them, you mm-hmm. know. And they were all taking it in turns and speaking with the with their accent fair enough understandable you know of course it's not going to be perfect but also it's not going to be that beneficial for Yanis who sat there and is listening to some you know all these different accents with this tutor and he gets maybe five ten minutes speaking time and the rest is either the tutor or the other students and he's yeah and in the end he said that it's it's much better just preparing for it by by himself and obviously a lot more economical doing it that way too so kind of yeah so it's always a risk when you go into a group class you just don't know what the dynamics going to be in there and, and all those things uh exactly. but yeah so maybe self-study using some of the, the techniques that you talk about and probably getting a one-to-one teacher would be a good idea at some point That's yes. where you can get the feedback from the speaking and the writing and you can do, you know, other things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, can I just one, yeah. say one thing? If you are going for an online tutor, um, be careful that they don't waste your time with shoddy tactics like, Oh, what do you do in your free time? Oh, how was your weekend? And stuff. Mm. you know, you want focused, dedicated practice, on certain areas so maybe you could just say look here's a list of questions ask me all these questions and write down the errors that i make and then send me the list afterwards you know mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. i think there's a time and a place for general chit chat and stuff like that but if you've got your exam coming up and you want to get the most out of your class 
then taking control and doing something like what I just said would be the best way to get a more effective lesson. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I just mentioned the risk of going into a class where you suddenly have to just, you know, follow what's going on. And even if you're not doing the talking and you've got to deal with other students and things like that, in a one-to-one lesson too, yeah, exactly as you said, you sometimes will have to step in and because the, the the danger is when people get a teacher they just uh, just give all the all the responsibility all the, and all the control over to that teacher and mm. they essentially want right teacher I want you to spoon feed me with your method but sometimes mm. you it's a kind of a collaboration that uh, learners of english must know that when they get a one to one teacher it's it's a sort of a collaboration you've got to uh, work at the beginning to s- tell that teacher what you expect some mm-hmm. teachers don't like that. It's unfortunately mm-hmm. some te- you might find that some teachers react badly to that, and they're like, mm-hmm. "I'm the teacher, I decide," or yeah, they don't like students to tell them what to do. But I mean, I think any any reasonable teacher should uh, be willing mm-hmm. to incorporate what that learner wants. So you've got mm-hmm. to try. If you get a one to one teacher, you've got to try different people until you find someone who's receptive to basically getting down to business regarding exactly yeah regarding the the IELTS preparation work you you want to do rather than just spending half an hour of like so what what about your weekend uh and also <laughs> often want to often teachers will be quite happy to talk about themselves teacher talking time you've got to try to I don't yeah. know cut sometimes you need to let people know when that's enough you know I I, I know I'm practicing my listening skills but uh um you know mm. let's get into the exams preparation work i mean i i would even suggest sort of bringing some tasks to the class that, you know and telling the Absolutely. teacher what you want them to do like i want you to correct me i want to do speaking practice with feedback you know let's look at yeah. the assessment criteria uh when you yeah. mark my writing can you use the criteria for it the teacher might be like oh this is a tough student but yeah. uh, it's kind of that's what it's involved in getting what you want I think. yeah I- I think you're totally you're totally right there. And it's a case of like finding a balance. You know, if the teachers come in prepared, enthusiastic, and they've got a list of activities that corresponds to what you need and where you want to go, then super, you, you, you know, you hit jackpot and you probably maybe don't have to do that much, at least at the beginning. Mm. But sometimes um, the teacher will just turn up and expect that being a native language being a native english speaker is sufficient to be to do the whole hour without preparation Mm. and in that case then you've got to take real control and step up and and take that responsibility and also sort of like help the tutor along you know guide them guide them along but as you said i think give like some tutors will come prepared some tutors won't come prepared and i would suggest sort of like seeing how the first class goes. Uh, but the moment you see it kind of just degenerating into general chit chat and happy, happy go, you know, just yeah. this, this funny stories and blah, 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 and all this stuff, then is the time to step in and say, Hey, I've brought these, uh, cue cards. Can we go over these please? And I think personally, I think most, well, if the teacher's good, they'd be happy that you're doing this, that you're, initiative and helping them get uh give you more value and i think it's just um yeah a win-win situation absolutely okay um let's move on to some more questions from my listeners uh regarding the writing and speaking tests um so uh yabe on twitter i think that's japanese i think it means let's go uh on, <laughs> on which is quite nice um <laughs> about the speaking test it says this i've i've heard that in the speaking test examiners usually judge candidates rough scores before moving on to the second section is that true if so is it better to focus on the first section more than the others i guess what this what this means is um that this person has got the idea that examiners use the first section to judge the person's english uh, and that's what defines their 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 the speaking score more so than the other sections is 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 the first section more important than the others um i would i would say that it isn't however these are humans and you know first impressions will probably impact or have at least some impact but even so the examiner 
has got to do all three sections, you know? Mm. So it could, the, the examiner might form an opinion at the beginning, mm-hmm. but still they've got to go through part two and part three. So, you know, there's still time to sort of like recover and impress the examiner and really shine you know even if you do make a complete mess of part one you still got another two sections to go to recover and then also with part three this is probably um maybe where the examiner's judgment is going to come into the equation and it's going to probably be more heavy is because the examiner is really going to start testing you at this level at this stage of the exam just to see sort of like how hard or how difficult maybe the questions can get. Mm. Like then this is what I was saying before that you might hear this, what sounds like the same question asked again and again. And this is the examiner kind of probing your, your ability and really sort of like settling on a grade for you. Because you mentioned before about uh, when, let's say the question is, you know, what do you think about globalization? And mm. the student answers, and then the, the the examiner says, "But what might be some of the the uh, um, arguments against globalization?" And mm. and what that what that examiner wants is for you to be able to acknowledge and to explain opinions that are not your own. You know, mm. which is you know, it's like talk. Part three is often it's about abstract things, like being able to talk about things that are outside of you so not just your personal opinions on things but being able to talk about other people's opinions and what other people have said and the sort of the general uh consensus about a topic beyond just what you think of it you know absolutely absolutely and you'll probably know it from um if you you do speak french yeah uh yeah i speak a bit of french yeah I'm, i'm i'm sort of b1 at the moment Oh, good. That's good. It's not bad. It's good. It's enough. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you probably know that like those levels, um, expressing those abstract ideas of maybe one of the people, that's really, um, that's when you've got to pull pull out the big guns with your language capability, so Mm -hmm. to speak. Yeah, that's where, I mean, I had a French test uh, recently as part of my application for French citizenship ahead of Brexit. So I mean, I'm trying to protect my uh, my status, and I had to take a language test. The minimum requirement for the um, citizenship is B1, which I managed to get. But in the speaking exam, it was um, let's see, yeah, it was similar to an IELTS one where the first part is basically kind of questions about you and little introductory questions. Second part is a long term, and the third part is discussing the topic of the long term the long term uh-huh. uh and the first part i was i was good because i applied my you know the strategy that we know as teachers which is you've got to make the good first impression you've got to come across as a positive communicative individual and so i used my i've got about probably about five to ten minutes of french conversation uh-huh. in in me you know uh, uh-huh. uh before it starts to break down so i did my absolute best in the first part where it was like quite yeah. chatty and stuff and then it was it, it as the test progressed, my French deteriorated as it as it went on. <laughs> so I think in the IELTS speaking test, the first part is obviously very important, as you said, for making the right impression. Uh, but yeah. it's in parts two and three that you would really win the big points. That's where you get into the higher level scores. You you yeah. pro- on part one alone, you can't get an, a seven or an eight. Probably, you, it's a, it's performing well in the other two parts. That's where you're going to get the really the high scores. I would yeah. say. That's so true. And Luke, may I ask you, mm-hmm. uh, did you turn on the charm in part one of your French exam? Oh yes, as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, as, as much as I possibly could. That's, that's awesome. Love it. <laughs> um, but it was in in parts uh, in part three or something i mean i was sweating so it was the middle of summer when i took (laughs) the exam and i walked to the exam uh center and by the time i got there i was already pouring sweat and then in the exam (laughs) i was okay at the beginning but then when the pressure sort of um you know when the pressure Mm -hmm. came in then I started to sweat and I and I was literally like wiping the sweat off my forehead. My shirt was stuck to me. It was a disaster. And at the end of the test, I said to the girl when the t- she switched off the tape recorder and um, I said to the girl, oh, part three was really, really difficult. 
And uh-huh. I, and I, I said, part three was really, really difficult. And she said to me, oh, that's okay. We've got a lift. <laughs> <laughs> so she completely, completely misunderstood what I said. And I was like, thank, thank God that wasn't in the exam. Thank God she switched off the tape recorder. <laughs> Clearly, I, I don't know what I, she thought I said. I think she thought I said, oh, my God, I'm really hot. It's going to be difficult to walk down the stairs or something. And what I wanted to say was part three was tough. She's like, it's okay, we've got a lift. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> right. My French is uh, yeah, still not, still still needs a lot of work. Um, um, okay. Uh, Lin Thoi Nguyen on Facebook asked me this question. How do we get ideas for speaking easily and quickly, especially in part two? Uh, what happens in part two? Can, can you just explain? Right. Yeah, yeah. You get a choice of three cue cards. You can't see them, but you just select one, the face down, mm-hmm. and you pull out one. And then it might be something like describe your best or describe your childhood friend. Describe a, re- a describe a memory you have with them. Describe why you like them, and describe um, I don't know an incident that happened between you or a shared memory or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you've got about. I think it's two minutes to prepare. Oh, no, maybe. Yeah, I think it's about two minutes. Yeah. And then you talk and you've got to explain who this friend is. And, yeah, and just basically working through the bullet points because you want to get all the points in the bu- and the bullet points. And and it is very important to, to follow these. It's a bit it's similar to task response. You know, if, if they... If you've got a cue card about your best childhood friend and then you talk about the importance of friendship, mm. then it's going to be really difficult for the examiner to give you points. Um, so the question, how do we get ideas quickly and easily for this? Mm. One strategy is because they, they refresh the cue cards every quarter, okay? And this is only like a shortcut. I'm not a massive fan of shortcuts, as you probably heard. I think the best way is to get your core language up to an ability where you can talk confidently and competently about a range of different topics. However, uh, I understand the situation from a student's point of view as well. So as I was saying, cue card, new cue cards come out every quarter and what I suggest students doing is getting a hold of these cue cards. We publish them on our on, on our site as well, mm-hmm. and each quarter we put the new ones in there. And sometimes I'll do a new podcast as well, showing the students, like giving them sample answers, you know, and say, okay, this is the vocabulary I'd use. This is how I would explain this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suggest the student gets a hold of these lists and starts writing out their answers of how they would speak, uh, what they would say, just so that come exam day, there's no nasty surprises, you know? And you could practice these cue cards in front of a mirror or with a friend or with your online tutor, uh, just so that you can maybe find your limitations on certain topics while you're practicing rather than discovering your limitations come exam day mm, yeah so it's it's about finding part two exam tasks more sample tasks like the cue cards you mentioned yeah and just practicing uh probably in you know uh, in the same conditions as in the in the exam giving yourself a bit of time to prepare and then is it two minutes they speak for two minutes is it yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah speak for two yeah. minutes. They've got about a minute to prepare. So, they, so, so they find loads of past part two tasks um, and uh, look at each one for, you know, look at it for a minute, prepare yourself and then speak for two minutes. You could record it maybe and, and you listen back to it again and do it over and over again with as many part two tasks as you can possibly find, attempting to make sure you deal with all the bullet points um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just practice, 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 practice. And mm-hmm. after doing lots and lots of practice like that, of just trying to, uh, fulfill the criteria of each, uh, cue card, it'll start to become a sort of, uh, an, an automatic response. That Absolutely. You'll, yeah. You'll, you'll just s- sort of slip back into the, 
the hab the habitual uh my you know thinking pattern of this is oh i'm doing a part the speaking part two so just bang 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 it just sort of starts to become second nature and you exactly. will you'll just come up with ideas i mean the ideas are actually often given to you really mm-hmm. it's just yeah. a question of just trying to you know practice doing it just yeah. responding to the instructions you know mm-hmm. that's it just playing the game just practice 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 yeah, and it's just two two more points that I'd like to mention. These are like very specific exam skills. But <clears throat> first one is if you've got if it's a challenge for you to start your presentation and and you could probably use this strategy for part 1 and part 3 as well. But just get started. Just say something. Um, even if it's just like a reflection of the question. So the teacher says, do you think globalization is important? You, you can just, just to get started, you say, yes, I think globalization is important. And just by getting started, you're sort of like, you're, you're firing up your engine mm. and you're, you know, you're getting momentum. And once you've fired up this engine and you've got your momentum, then it's much easier to start to, to continue, you know? So, if you are struggling, just say something, even just reflect the the question that you just got, but say something and you'll you will find that you will start speaking and ideas will start to come as that engine gets more fired up and gets warmed up. Absolutely. I think it's really important to practice thinking on your feet. Um, because you know some some learners of English will think right I need to plan the entire thing from start to finish before I start talking and mm. y- it's impossible you can't do it and the test doesn't expect you to do that either exactly the test, expe- yeah. the test expects you to maybe write down a couple of ideas so you get a basic idea of where you're going to go but that you should be practicing like making it up as you go along uh, and exactly, just try, yeah. trying to follow the points that are given to you, but just putting it all together, thinking on your feet and speaking and thinking at the same time. These are the things you need to practice. Exactly. And what a lot of students try to do is use their writing brain to communicate in a sport in this well, to speak. Yeah. So they try and construct this grammatically perfect sentence, but and then try and speak it. But write that speaking is much faster than that. It's much more spontaneous. And this goes back to the core skills again, that this spontaneity you can only get by by really focusing on, on these core skills. And just what you said about thinking on your feet, this reminded me of like what I was doing as um, learning Spanish. I would put myself into horrible situations where I really had to think on my feet and just forced it, you know, mm-hmm. and the, those painful memories, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of forced myself to like, like memorize the construction. So next time the, the person in the market shouting at me, if I want 500 grams or 400 grams, I can just fire back and, uh, you know, yeah. or just whatever the question, but you're not going to get this spontaneity unless you're putting yourself into these situations. Right. So just practice, get the exam tasks, sample ones from the past with the, the cue cards and just practice, 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 practice. They can yeah. get, they can get some old speaking um, cue cards on your website. Did, did you yes. Said, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, There's cool. a list there and we updated each quarter as well. Okay, cool. Uh, Adnan on Facebook asked me, this during the IELTS exam in speaking do we have to speak in a formal or informal way right um I'll briefly answer this you want the the language you want to use is the same that you would use if you were going for a career job interview right so we don't want the kind of conversations you or the the language you use with your friends down at the pub nor do we want to be trying to imitate how the queen of england speaks we want we want it we want to upgrade it and we want it to be formal so it's sort of a professional um style yeah Yeah. i would say maybe semi-formal because you don't want it so stiff and rigid that you sound pompous yeah yeah it's kind of neutral yeah which which i think in in english our neutral style is is supposed is fairly informal to an extent like the way that we're talking now on the podcast i think is probably an appropriate kind of style right yeah like this yeah. The, i mean this general style that we've got in this conversation i think is 
would be classified as a neutral one. It's the sort mm. of thing you'd imagine in a in a business meeting where people are using first names and things like that. But you know, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of slang. Uh, English that you hear with your friends in the pub but it's also as you said it's not the sort of super formal English that you might hear in the House of Commons or something like that which is very mm-hmm. sort of um, it's got these certain um, standards of, of address and, and things mm-hmm. like that yeah um, yeah so just new- one yeah sorry yeah just one other thing but um, for um, for a learner of English um, of someone for a student taking the exam if you can like n- find a better word maybe a more eloquent word then drop that in and if for example if you're aware of saying if you're aware that you've said it's really good and mm. um, if you could upgrade that and just say oh, it was spectacular mm. that's yeah. going to not only boost your confidence but it's also going to help you pick up a few points but one word of warning only use that strategy if you're confident that you're using the word in the right in its right in the correct way you're not forcing it right right absolutely you've got to try and upgrade your english but make sure it's it's you know it's genuine yeah exactly yeah Mm -hmm. um i've got a question from from farshid and it's quite interesting because his question is about the the approach to doing the uh the speaking test and i think he's basically saying what's wrong with sort of rambling fluently uh, and it's quite interesting because the question is written in a fairly fluid and rambling way. Um, so the question goes like this. I have a question and it's about the specific strategy that IELTS has in the speaking test. In fact, my question is, what does the specific strategy have to do with getting a job or going abroad? Do people abroad ask travellers questions similar to the ones in IELTS? Why should we abide by those rules and why are they so strict? I speak fluently, but as soon as I kind of ramble on to maybe elaborate on the answer, I lose points, which makes me furious, and yet I don't get the reason. Is that because you have to get to the point and avoid distractions when speaking? So basically, in, in summary, why are IELTS speaking tasks designed the way they are? Do they reflect real-life communication? And if you're a fluent student, how can you actually lose points? Um, what other things should you consider beyond just being fluent? Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm going to jump to the defense of IELTS again because yeah. it's your um, what's his name? Fashid is right because um, he's right in observing that it's not actually. Obviously, when I go to England and I go to Max and Spencer, I don't talk for two minutes about my best friend, my childhood best friend, obviously, you know, so, but the exam wants to know uh, this because it's testing you to see like, of course, you're not going to speak for two minutes nonstop in in England or Australia. It's, It's highly unnatural. But they want to see that, you, that you're capable. And also, a lot of students are taking this exam for university. So in that case, it is kind of like, you know, they don't want students going in saying, IELTS says that this is a competent student. And then the student gets into university and has difficulty maybe doing a presentation or communicating or debating, mm-hmm. then like, hey, IELTS, you said this guy got a uh, band seven, but he can't even hold a coherent argument. So it is a balance of sort of like, okay, um, it's not real world as in everyday real world, but the kind of situations that you might be going into, especially academic, it could be useful. So do people abroad ask travelers questions similar to the IELTS? Probably not, but having similar skills that the IELTS examiner pulls out or during the exam will be useful in kind of like everyday, uh, not everyday, but in, in some circumstances. I think, I mean, you know, again, in defense of IELTS, um, it's, it's taken years and years and years to develop a test like this. And, that, you know, a, a hell of a lot of planning, a hell of a lot of research uh, mm-hmm. goes into the design the designing of this test it's i mean mm-hmm. it's it's actually mind-boggling how in-depth it is and and how much time and effort is spent on the way that the test is designed so everything is very very carefully thought through from for various reasons it might not be obvious but um you know it's just the process 
that's necessary for for accurately assessing someone's English. You know, many many different things have to be taken into account. Um, not just your ability to have a little chat uh, with with someone that you meet. And yeah, you are being pushed to to do things that yeah you might not have to do on an everyday basis. But I mean, I think part one of the speaking test. Those are fairly typical questions you might be asked if you meet someone. You're like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, so would you do you live here? Do you live here? Uh, what mm-hmm. do you you know? What are you studying? What do you like about your course? You know, uh, how do you get here? And what's the best way of traveling around the city? In your opinion, you know, those mm-hmm. sorts of questions. Yeah, I think they are fairly common ones. And the second part where you have to talk on your own for a, for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, you know, that sort of reflects real life presentation skills that you might have mm-hmm. to do, and 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 the discussion at the end where you're discussing mm-hmm. abstract things yeah i mean i think that in a in a business meeting or a university seminar or something you might have to have abstract discussions so i think it's on balance i think it is fairly realistic yeah um, yeah i mean it's not like as you just said and as fashid said everyday english not so much the first part as you said but the other parts yeah for sure for yeah, sure yeah i i agree mm-hmm. um uh, and 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 the other question was about fluency and and uh, I guess what's happening with Farshid is that sometimes in those when he takes those exams maybe in part one he might be talking too much he might be going off topic mm. um, and um, it's kind of like what we said before about writing that it's important to um, again make sure you're fulfilling the task and you're not just showing off your your flowery English. Exactly. Um, yeah, you got to think of you know the question that you've been asked, and have you answered that question in a few sentences? Then yes, then just you know that's it. Your job done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, um, I mean, like we were saying earlier, if we look at this from the examiner's point of view, that if every student that comes in rambles on every single question. Of course, it's not going to be a pleasant experience, and it's not what's required by the student, uh, by by the exam, for the exam anyway. Mm. And Farshid says, um, if you if you're a fluent student, how can you lose points? What other things should you consider beyond just fluency? Um, or what? No, what was it? He he said that he was like he rambles on and he he loses points. Yeah, because of his fluency. Well, Farshid, I. I would be very surprised if you lost points because of your, your fluency. But what what I would do, and this is what we go into in my online course, a speaking confidence, and, and what we do is I kind of give you a, a rough framework for you to follow for when you're answering different parts of the question, uh, different parts of the exam. Mm. So for, for maybe part one, just a couple of sentences, you know, if the, if the, stu- if the examiner says, hey, where – do you study or do you work? You say, you don't say, I work. You know, mm. no, mm. you don't say that. But also you don't say, uh, I work. I've got a temporary job down in the center of Melbourne. I've been there for three years. I think the boss is having an affair with the secretary. I don't know. And I think the secretary wants to fire me because she thinks that I know. Blah, blah. You know, you're not going to do that. You're yeah. just going to give sort of like a brief overview. Yeah. And yeah, um, it's just a case of finding finding the balance. But the framework I give um, offers sort of like just a couple of sentences. And then if the students, what happens with a lot of students is that they sometimes their mind goes blank. And in this case, it's always good just to say because, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Example, just just keep it going long enough, but don't make it short and stubby so that the examiner has to work. So you're forcing the examiner to work. It's, it's kind of the, like the, the balance, as you said, on one hand, don't say too little, but also don't ramble on too much. There's a time and a place for rambling. And, I, and exactly. I, you know, I think, for example, in in episodes of my podcast where I'm just talking and talking and talking, that's one thing. But <laughs> you know, if I was in in my you know in my French exam, for example, you know, I tried not to do that. Not that I can in French, but <laughs> if I was taking the IELTS exam, I I would certainly you know put the rambling on hold and uh-huh. you know use use other skills like in this like in this conversation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
so i mean i've got other questions i've got more questions but i think that we actually are out of time because i've got to go down to the creche to pick up my daughter um i had questions about writing like how to get proper writing skills this is a very big question um and how to deal with the the chart analysis in the writing section questions about listening like why is it so difficult basically um uh, uh is toefl easier than ielts and that's kind of it really more or less uh, i we're gonna have to stop uh, i think mm-hmm. we've probably said quite a lot about the exam but uh if people want more information or if they want more specific um uh, advice and help then they can check out your website absolutely yeah they can check uh, check it out at ieltspodcast.com and we give out a lot of ielts materials you just have to leave your email for that and then on the thank you page when you can leave your email you also get access there's also the email address where you can send your direct questions to either myself or the the assistant and we get back usually within 24 hours with with an answer for you so yeah feel free to send us your your questions and yeah sign up okay fantastic well thanks a lot uh, for talking to us on the podcast today ben thank you very much for having me luke i've really enjoyed it it's been good fun it has been good i hope that uh i hope that listeners out there who are thinking of doing ielts um have you know got some good uh, bits of advice from us today um all right well cool uh speak to you again at some point maybe definitely definitely cheers luke So there you go. Unfortunately, we couldn't answer all the questions because we ran out of time. But you might find more answers and support on Ben's website, which is ieltspodcast.com. You can ask Ben and his team questions. Uh, And of course, Ben is offering you all 15% off his uh, IELTS course, which is called Jump to Band 7, or it's free. Just use the offer code LUKE15 at checkout to get that 15% discount. All right. So if you are taking the IELTS test at some point, then best of luck. Uh, Do your best. I hope that you have a good day that day. I hope you feel prepared. You know, the the, it's the Boy Scouts, the code, isn't it? The Boy Scouts that be be prepared. That's the mantra there. Be prepared at all times. Um, If you're, what is it? If you fail to prepare, prepare to fail right? Yeah, guys. So look, guys, if you prepare to fail, oh, I got it wrong, guys. (laughs) Look, guys, uh, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail, okay? Um, So yes, make sure you're fully prepared, but good luck if you are taking the test. If you've taken the test, then I hope you're feeling okay. I hope you're not feeling too traumatized. Just, you know, take it easy over the next few days. And if you never have to take the test and you've never done it, then well, uh, lucky you, I suppose. Um, and if you have taken the test and you got the results you wanted, then congratulations to you. So thank you so much for listening to this. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, double episode. Uh, what about upcoming episodes of the podcast, Luke? What can we expect for episodes coming up in the future? Well, let me just have a look at my uh, my Google document for the podcast. I've got a Google page, which I use to put all my ideas down in. So what have we got coming up? We've got various episodes of Luke's English Podcast Premium, as you know, focusing on probably the episode I did with James recently, the slang game I I did recently, and some other bits and pieces, including some language from the first part of this conversation. So there will be premium uh, stuff coming out with all of that language analysed and explained and drilled for pronunciation. Uh, But what else? Well, um, let's see. I've got various ideas. I want to speak to lots of different people. There's still people I know in my life who I haven't interviewed for the podcast. And I think there are some interesting people out there to talk to and some stories for people to tell. I'd like to do another episode about Alan Partridge, another British comedy episode about Alan. Alan Partridge is back on BBC television, actually. He's finally got back onto the BBC. There's a new series of uh, an Alan Partridge TV programme currently being broadcast on BBC One on Monday evenings at 9.30. So Alan Partridge is back on the BBC. Uh, so there's lots of Alan-related stuff going going on at the moment. So it might be good to do another episode about Alan Partridge. 
um, that those Alan Partridge episodes from October last year were very popular. I've got lots of correspondence about them. I expect they weren't for absolutely everyone, but you know, not you know, none of my episodes are for absolutely everyone. I think, but certainly I've got plenty of good responses from them. So I might do a bit more Alan Partridge. Um, I've I've got something which I've been planning for months, and that is about uh, how people speak or how people seem to be posh. So the idea of the word posh and poshness in speech and also poshness in people. I've got loads of stuff which I prepared ages ago but have never got around to doing. All about, yeah, features of a posh accent and what posh really means. And posh, in fact, there's like even five different types of poshness. Did you know this? Poshness, if I can remember them all, poshness of speech, poshness of taste, poshness of uh, assumed superiority, poshness of family connection, and poshness of um, extremely bad taste as well, I think is one of them somehow. Anyway, five different types of poshness. So I, I want to do several episodes exploring all of these notions and concepts. And can you identify when someone is speaking, can you identify if they're posh or not? You might be thinking even now, Luke, what does posh mean? Posh basically means upper class, like high class or upper class. And in terms of English and accents, if you're talking about posh, you're talking about people who are from the aristocracy or certainly from the upper class sections of society. So certainly the royal family, they're very posh. So there is a certain type of speech which um, will reveal a person to be posh. A few different ways that people can speak that are posh. Um, So what I thought we could do is actually go through various uh, British celebrities and I would read some information from their Wikipedia page and you could decide if you consider them to be posh or not based on which school they went to, their educational background, where they grew up, their name, family connections and other things. And then we could even listen to those people speaking a little bit and see if we could identify if they sounded posh or not. So that's posh or not, which is an episode coming up. And then I've got various other things, loads of other stuff coming up. I'd like to do maybe a few rambling episodes i haven't done one of them for a while so maybe i'll do a bit of a ramble and perhaps do a couple of songs on the guitar as well at some point uh thank you so much for listening to this episode though uh i'll speak to you again on the podcast soon but for now it's just time to say goodbye bye 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 bye. thanks for listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.